0: three
1: two one here we go hey everybody welcome back to system the soul chris white benj miller coming at you and i'm really excited to have our our, the guest that we have today i met this cat about 10 years ago and um his name's Larry Dorfman, and Larry is uh, the former founder and CEO of Apical Holdings. Um, he is currently a partner in Roots Real Estate Exchange, and, and he's got such a cool background. I mean, Larry has been huge in the music industry in Atlanta. He's been huge in the auto industry, and, and now he's taken over real estate, and I'm excited to have my former client back. Larry, welcome to System and Soul, brother. Thanks for having me. it's good to see you and uh it's nice to see us all
2: healthy well after our wonderful what is almost two years now so
1: right on right on and that's a, you know that just leads right into you know i we're going to talk a little bit about how we met and all that but what have you been doing for the past two years mostly learning um yeah
2: the uh i, I stepped down out of the apco role in 2019 about april i guess. I uh, was fully intended on retiring, spending time in charity, and I got five grandchildren, now six, and um, had a blast. Uh, and of course, you know, we got into early 20 and the pandemic started, and so uh, I feel guilty, had a great pandemic. I mean, I, I basically was already doing what I wanted to do, and and that was to continue to sort of work on personal growth, learn as much as I could, read as much as I could, steal as much information from other people right. as I could. And um it's been uh it's been amazing truly how much uh at 65, well between 63 and 65, how much more you can learn if you just if you just stop thinking you know it all. Yeah. Um so that's that's really what I've been doing. I mean I've I've had extraordinary time with my children. I got five kids, their partners, um my grandkids so it's been uh truly incredible what was atmosphere. the
1: transition like because listen i've known you a long time and you grass does not grow under your feet you are a dynamic visionary slash operator what was the was the transition hard for you when 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 that you stepped out of apco and it's like okay like that was my baby and you built it up i mean it's a billion dollar business now
2: that's a good question it's funny um Until until you actually asked that question just now, I've been asked it before, and I think my response has been, no, it was fine. But as you asked the question, it occurred to me why it was fine. The transition started really seven or eight years ago. Mm. um, When I started really spending more time in meditation, more time uh, in understanding personal growth and how, how much more there was to learn. I don't think we're, our, who we are changes significantly. It's just getting to know ourselves better. And uh, when I got to know myself better over time, uh, in fact, the kids, all the kids and the grandkids call me LD, because um, that's easier. And I thought LD was a name grandchildren could learn quickly. So I wanted to be the one that they called out to first. So <laughs> it's, worked, it's worked pretty well. They call it right now, they call it version three because I think we're always growing and we're always changing and every day is different. And so, uh, when I, I started working on myself more Mm -hmm. being more who I wanted to be as compared to who I thought I needed to be about eight years ago.
1: Mm.
2: And so by the time we got to March 19, I had an extraordinary morning routine, exceptional way of looking and starting my day in a positive way, a good way of ending my day. And, um, I don't think, Oh, you knew me for a long time. I don't think anybody would ever say I was negative, but maybe aggressive would pop in there, maybe uh, overly assertive at times and possibly opinionated. I don't know, maybe.
1: Um, so so learning to she's have all more of those, a folks, she's all of those, trust me. Yeah, I am still all of those. I'm just yeah, more aware. Well.
2: I'm just more aware of those parts. Yeah. And I have a chance to have this conversation that stops me from being the for just a second, that pause and allows me to go. Is that really, how you want to address this? Nice. You know, I mean, it, it is. Um, it's it's really uh, an art form to learn to pause, and and I feel really good about having finally figured it out. I, I actually wear a tattoo on my wrist that's a semicolon. The semicolon is a uh, is a symbol for suicide prevention, which I picked up from uh, my daughter Tommy who was in 13 Reasons Why, the big show that, about suicide and everything else. And um, she and Selena Gomez and Alicia Bowe all went out and got these tattoos uh, in honor of, of a, uh, suicide prevention. And um, I thought it was pretty cool. And then at the time, I was really connecting with her a lot more. And um, one day on the way home, I, I realized that that semicolon could have a lot of reasons. Like, Like really, actually, I push what I call a pause button on my wrist to take that second and think so going back to your original question it was an opportunity to go exercise even more what i was already working on right so i was able to take it out there positively and um it was a it was a beautiful transition yeah spending the time with kathy was really important i i I have over six million miles on delta that's not including other airlines i've had to take over time you know the feeling yeah um tonight's a year on the road, about six months earlier, I just said to her, I don't think I am do it anymore.
0: What sparked, you know, go back eight years ago when you went on this kind of self-improvement, personal growth journey. What sparked that for you?
2: Well, Tommy got sober at 21. And so um, in my support of her, I went and started doing some Al-Anon work. And I had also had some other relationships and people with whom were meditating, who were working on this may I call it a secular Buddhist thought process Um, being at the time, basically an atheist um, because I was so opinionated that I was sure there was no God. Hmm. Um, And, and as Chris knows, I was sure nobody was more powerful than I was. So um, (laughs) it was, it was this moment in time of finally, um, you know, frankly what really shifted it all was a serenity prayer in Al-Anon. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, for a very long period of time, I, it was not possible to say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot I change the courage to change the things I can. And there wasn't the difference. I just said, grant me. Mm-hmm. I, have an, I have become an agnostic because I finally figured out that I'm, I was way too arrogant to think I actually knew and I don't know. Uh, I also learned that this universe is a hell of a lot more powerful than any of us are. And it certainly serves up things we don't control moment by moment and day by day. The only thing we can control is our reaction to those things, our response to them. So what triggered it was um, I needed some space. I needed to find some space. And meditations started with, the, with an app I'll give a plug to, which is Calm. Uh, I know there's yep. Headspace and other ones out there. They're probably all great. I like Calm because, um, you know, I, I love measuring. And um, I, will, I will very shortly hit my 1,000th day in a row without missing a meditation. Wow. A meditation is a minimum of 10 minute formal sitting. Yeah. Now I've lied a couple of times where I had like six or seven minutes, but I had three or four minutes at other times of the day. So I added them together. <laughs> um, I was present. So that's what got me started. I, I um, and, and once I was into it, I was also, I weighed uh, 235 pounds, 234 pounds. I had been focusing on at some point getting disciplined. I mean, so disciplined. We're also disciplined in certain areas and so undisciplined in others. And
1: it's
2: it's remarkable to me how we can be that way. You know, I needed to get a discipline down. Um, So tying together, starting the Al-Anon, starting the calm, um, I started uh, really starting to focus on Dave Anderson, a good dear friend of mine, who's a fantastic speaker and leadership coach. Um, Talks a lot about morning routines and I stole a bunch of his stuff. And built myself a a set of affirmations. Yeah. And, you know, as corny as it sounded to me at the time, as goofy as it sounded at the time, it's a 7 to 12 minute process every morning for me to go through my affirmations now. And it's, do I do it every single morning? No, but three or four times a week, I still do. I think you have to ingrain them in a way that they're there anyway. Yeah. And um, I am... In an affirmation, I think you get a chance to say who you're gonna be, who you choose to be. Yeah. You get it, and then you got it's sort of like going through KPIs, you got a measurement tool, and every morning you get to go, hmm, how'd I do? My morning sync meeting is with myself. I go into every day ready to go. And so that that really was helpful. Yeah. And and I've I've honed that binge over um over this last two years to really get better and better at.
1: This episode is brought to you by Delegate Solutions. Many entrepreneurs are overwhelmed, burnt out, and frustrated because they aren't able to spend enough time on their highest and best work. They know they need to delegate to an assistant, but they don't want the responsibility of managing one. At Delegate Solutions, we provide leaders with a different approach to admin support without the hassles of committing to an employee. We support our clients remotely in as little as one to two hours per day, all the way through to full time. Our systematic approach includes customized delegation coaching to help you figure out what and how best to delegate, coupled with a team of thinkers and doers to continually get those things off your plate. We love to help visionary leaders free up time so they can do more of what they love and make a big impact. Learn more about delegation support systems by visiting delegatesolutions.com.
0: You talked about going on this personal growth journey, but I happen to know that you are the man who sends out more books than Barnes and Nobles. So you also have, a, and I think instilled in your organization, a culture of self-improvement and personal growth. What did that look like? How did you get there? Because not everybody wants that for themselves.
2: Yeah, and I can tell you up front, you can't force it on anybody. You know, I think it. Uh, it's all about building a culture around the value of it. And um, it's a really good question because it, you know, I mean, in the previous years, let's say LD1 or even maybe even one and a half, two, um, I did read the book I read, right? So here's a book I thought was good. Everybody read it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, You know, over time, that changed to having our core values become the way we communicated. And, you know, I think think the number one thing that, the leadership in an organization is that to quit thinking one person's a leader
0: mm. stop
2: trying to take it all on yourself right. stop thinking that you have all the answers and give everyone else an opportunity to lead themselves um you know there's a i'm on the, i sit on the board of a fantastic charity called because i said i would i wear a bracelet on my wrist that says because i said i would i need not say more you understand what that means yeah. right <clears throat> and um, Alex Sheen is a young man who has a great way of explaining what it means to making people promise, and um, when I listened to Alex, it occurred to me that, that there are different levels of commitment. There are different, different levels of accountability, and this old concept of top-down accountability, which I'll talk a little more about top-down as we move along, but the thought process that everybody will understand is top-down accountability. Uh, The parent telling the child, the boss telling the employee. Um, No doubt, we all need to feel some sense of responsibility to the people we report to in whatever way, shape, or form. And by the way, everybody reports to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, Including, as I'll get to in a moment, that level of accountability, in my opinion, is the weakest form. I think peer-to-peer is a considerably stronger accountability process. It's a, you know, when, when I owe it to the person on my left, as Simon Sinek says, and the person on my right, when I look at them and join hands and go together forward, we get a lot more done. And, you know, it's one of those things that 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 I, I got a real problem breaking a promise to somebody. So there's my peer piece. Um, but what I most out of my work with Alex Sheen. And because i said it what is is my personal accountability start to be accountable to ourselves and everything else comes to play yeah so my mornings are about being accountable to myself my mornings are about checking my to-dos within the software i use to make sure whatever's due today is getting done today my morning's about writing down the four things that need to be done and eating the frog early pick the one that's nasty don't want to do it it sucks and knock right. that thing out of the park before today starts, because otherwise it's going to be sitting on your plate tomorrow morning. Um, so, you know, the how do you get it upstream? Ben, just a great question. So, the first thing I would say is you include everybody in the conversation. Um, when we started with Chris, I found Chris by pure chance. I read Traction. Um, it was given to me by a, a dealer friend of mine who Chris later on I think possibly met. Uh, events and yeah. um and i know your partner mark has worked with him i think still works with him so dealer, um, drug dealer right yeah car dealer
0: like there we go top okay. top we'll 20 back. car yeah, dealers
2: yeah, no, <laughs> no,
1: my drug dealer was a different <laughs> transaction i'm not saying
2: there weren't some car dealers that were my drug dealers i'm just saying this particular one <laughs> now this is uh there's a guy named Vince Sheehy. who's a marvelous human being who's yeah. in virginia and who um taught me a lot i've learned a ton from him I, he, he's a very very organized and thought-provoking person. Anyway, he's top 20, 30 dealership group in the country. And um, but anyway, he was sitting at lunch one day. He says, Did You read this book yet? I'm like, no. I took the book and read it. I took it back home and I said, Guys, I'm gonna ask you to please read this book because I think there's something here for us. I was con- I was transitioning at the time, right? From L one to l two, two and a half, and I'm L D one, two and a half, whatever. So now I'm, I'm I'm like asking instead of telling. And um, because the book also, the part that got me most about the introduction of it was the whole concept of the core values meetings. And Chris, I think that started after our hour and a half introduction where you explained how we're going to do it and we're going to get all the guys together that count and we're going to have three two-hour meetings. And I went, oh, this is going to be interesting because we had the first two-hour meeting with 30 people. Now, let's admit it, that program wasn't really built for companies with 280 people. Um, it works. You got to make it work. You got to break it into parts and make it work. But we, we were sharing the wealth of leadership. We were sharing the wealth of everybody's, you know, we wanted engagement involvement. So um, we had 30 people there. And my partner and dear friend and president, John Lee, said, uh, I ain't doing that again. He says, i got a bunch of words on a board. I know them all already. We know what our core values are. Write the damn things and put them out like you used to. I said, no, oh, Johnny, come on, man. Let's just do this. What did we learn today? He said, well, I didn't learn much. I said, no, I think you did. Think about it. Who participated and who didn't? Yeah. He said, oh, man. I said, I got 12 or 13. That's all I got who played. The rest sat on their hands. Who should be in the next meeting? He says, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, you're going to be in the next meeting. Let's just invite the 12 or 13 who play. He's like, all right, I'll do that. I said, we'll get more engagement. We'll, be, we'll, we'll, get, we're, we'll refine it more to a point. So then we took that. We did the second meeting. Um, he was done. Uh, the, the C team, as, as we all like to call them, very close friends and, and very, very valuable human beings, all were pushing back still on the process. Um, and I told them that I was tired of being the center of the dot of an org chart and that, that we needed to move on. Yeah. Um, and that I was fine with not using this process, but they needed to go find another one if they liked it better because I'd rather have a bad process than no process. Um, I, took my, I said, while y'all think about it, I'm taking the sales and marketing group to my lake house and we're going to do it. Go down there and we have the third, I took the leaders of that group had been in the, interestingly enough, of the 12, 13 that were in that next meeting, probably six of them came out of that group because they were active, energetic, and involved um, and evolved, if I would. So we went and sat down there and we started working on core values. And, and, and I, in the course of that sort of, you know, there's this, there's, I think our purpose is the same as our why, whatever, and, and I had written down mine what I thought we should be, in exactly the words. And I did not put it out there. We worked and worked and worked, and then somewhere along the line, someone said, you know what we really do? We just help people succeed. And I turned the page over, and the exact words that were written were, we help others succeed. I said, I like that one. And I showed it to them. Yeah. And they were all like, well, I guess we're we're ready to go. Let's go. And we picked out our five key components and went from there. There was so much involvement, so much ownership. Yeah. Benj, I don't, I have to shove it upstream all the time. You know, I I mean, learning, educating, one of the core values, we're student mentality. We learn, we grow. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, I might have, I might have just kept, pushing that button a little bit during the course of it, but they all bought into it. You, know, you can't force what somebody doesn't want to do. Um, well, so Larry, that's how, I'm going to yeah. hit
1: pause because um, there might be a segue here. Like when you made the comment, you, know, you didn't want to be the center dot, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us, tell us how you took the org chart and changed it to, 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 it, it, cause what you, I really loved what you did and, and, and aligned philosophically with what you were trying to do. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah. So that's a great question.
2: So when I design, when I, when I explained the circle with a dot in it, that's more mechanically how we were operating. Yeah. I mean, I, honest to God, I, I don't think that decision got made It didn't go through me in some way, shape, or form. Early on in our organization, um, we found a couple of things that started it, and, and I think this, bench comes back to your question a little bit, too, about how do you instill things throughout an organization? Um, I found a, a statement in a print shop in 1984 when we were printing our first stuff. It said, an organization succeeds not because it is big or because it is long established, but because there are people in it who live it, sleep it, dream it, and build future plans That has been printed and handed to every employee who's ever come to work. Mm. It has been on the back of my business card and on my signature on my email. That sort of was the very beginnings back in 84. The other part of it is you talk about org structure. You know, I didn't work in a big corporate organization. I was in office equipment business before I got into APCO. Um, I I managed a group of salespeople, about 120 or 30 of them. Um, It was cold calls out in the street sales old school as you can get it and and quite frankly i don't really believe in the product but i didn't make a difference at that time it made me good money um it makes a difference today so uh, when we started this you know org charts in general across the universe are structured with the ceo or chairman at the top and then you know you go down level by level by level and and god forbid there'll be eight or ten levels but there are um, and the more distant you get from the top, the more distant you are from the original thought process of the company, the more distant those poor folks are from the why of the company. What, what's the purpose? And, and yeah, you know, the core values are simply a little card they got handed or are stuck in your wallet if you're lucky.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so very early on, I mean, literally 85. Um, and I never knew where I found this. I know it wasn't, my, I knew it wasn't my idea, but I found out later, and I'll tell you in a minute, but um, in 85 or so, I said, you know, I don't like this position on top. It feels like I'm looking down on, the, on my employees. And, um, I said, you know, what if, what, if we, what if we flip this thing over? And what if we build a team at the bottom, since that's all we are now is four or five, six of us. And as we grow, we look up at our employees. And our role is to provide them with the resources, the training, the leadership, the support to help them succeed moving up upstream, right? In our organization, when you come in, you come in at the top because you're the person who's actually touching the customer. You're the person who's actually touching uh, uh, the the, the things that happen that make it work. Mm. You may be talking to And our business was extended service contract business. The customer was somebody who owned the service contract, but you may be talking to the service facility. You got to handle that right. Because if you don't handle that right, they won't take care of the customer properly. So we developed this inverted pyramid, which I later, after retiring, started doing more research on because I wanted to write on it a little bit. I don't write to publish, I write for myself. And, And I wanted to understand it better. And I'm pretty sure I got it from the guy at Costco. Uh, Costco to me has always been a, a perfect company, a beautiful company that overpaid their people and had remarkable um, culture within the organization. So, um, you know, when you take Costco, uh, Simon Sinek talks about it, and that's where it sort of led me to Costco. Talks about the fact that in the infinite game, that that the Costco guy wasn't about finite, not about this month's money, that next month's money. It's it's an infinite game. Life's an infinite game. So I see it all. The business is an infinite game, and so. This inverted chart allowed me to practice every day looking up at our people, every day making sure they had the support they needed. I think binge, that really helped people adapt to, believe, and buy into the culture because they knew that everyone at the bottom believed it. And I'll share this quick story. Um, My brother-in-law, who who is still an executive at APCO, uh, was my COO. He started as his first job was putting flyers on cars in a parking lot in June and July in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. He became the COO. As we were going through uh, our growth and had started our work with Chris, wow. and will continue to get better and better, I think, um, we were in meetings where I constantly was correcting him about pushing things down through the organization. I mean, that term by itself just turns my stomach. So we're in a group of uh, managers and executives on some pretty heavy conversation in uh, the 2009 time period when there was a lot of stuff going down.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, Michael said it again. He said, you know, hey, we got to get this information. We got to push it down through the organization. I said, that's cool, Mike. We need to push it up, okay? He looks at me and says, F you. We're just in here. It's just us. Leave me alone today on this. I so actually, Mike, F you. Because if we don't have it right in here, it ain't going right out there. You have not yet converted your thought process 100%. Do me a favor. Leave this meeting whenever it ends, not now. Come back and tell me in my office whether you can get there or not, because if you can't, you need to find somewhere else. Now, his sister, who is my wife, was probably not very happy about that considering the fact that she was in the room at the time. Um, but it was, it's just not, it's a non-negotiable situation is, is looking upstream, not down. And I think benj when you, if you, if you can live what you preach and if you can practice it, look, we all break our, our promises. We all don't always do what we say we're going to do. We all come out of the character who we want to be, who we choose to be. I don't think it's acting. I think down deep, you find out who you are and how you want to be and you, then you work at being that way. It's Mm -hmm. the other things. It's the other things that cause you not to be that way. I don't know if anybody else on this call has a different voice in their head all the time, but that's the one that's messing with you, right? You react to something somebody said, and then you become that thing you didn't want to be. So here's, that's sort of how that all happened. And the org chart changed. And, and, uh, and every organization I'm involved with today, all looked at that and said, yeah, yeah. Inverted org chart works for me. So for me to play, I got to feel like everybody's looking up and not down.
0: Tell me about that journey from a standpoint of, you know, internally, we talk a lot about how different personalities of entrepreneurs, of, of leaders enter the game, either typically from a very systematic standpoint or from a very soulful standpoint. Where, do you, where did you come in the game and how did you evolve through that? Zero system,
2: all soul. In the beginning? Oh, God. Um, I'm passionate, yeah. driven, yeah. overreactive. Absolutely believed I was correct on everything that I thought. And, and I used to tell the joke, yeah, I was wrong one time because I thought I was wrong and found out I was right.
0: Um, and and how, I did said, you, how did the business get past that? Because you need both to get to the place you, um, you got I, to. You have to.
2: I, very simple answer. I hired people that had the other side intentionally. Uh, good news, my wife, who's an incredible administrator, extremely organized, uh, she started the company with me, and she, um, she did all those pieces that I wasn't good at, right? And um, so that was handled. My partner, uh, original founder, Martin Blank, was a lawyer, extremely deep thinker, nine years older than me, my mentor. Martin was beautiful in the sense that he could share his thought process, but if I wanted to go, he let it go. He just let the damn string go mm-hmm. because sometimes you gotta let a visionary go. Um, and lots of mistakes, made. You know, I had the opportunity to have a guy that actually back then we didn't have word processor. <laughs> uh-huh. He would take a written document of mine and red ink the hell out of it because he's a lawyer. One of my proudest moments of my entire life was when he handed me one back, that didn't have me red ink. So having having people around us who are the opposite of us is the critical success point bench. I mean, I I'm not, I have become very systematic. I, I mean, this is this will scare you. I'm facilitating meetings for four companies. We're hey guys on, on the radio. That's LD3.
1: 1. That's not LD1.
2: <laughs> We're on Zoom and y'all aren't seeing us, but Chris is just shaking his head. No, back and forth. Um, <laughs> So does everybody else I know. Yeah. I love it. And Chris, thank you. I mean, you, you, know, you instilled in me these needs yeah, for these yeah. processes and the system part of it in a way that, that the success that came from it was undeniable, right? It was undeniable. Yeah. And between you and Mark, as my partners and mentors, um, that piece has been invaluable. The other piece was, not even sure which one of you said it, but, in one of our coaching meetings, in a quarterly meeting, um, it was, it was, uh, you need to have really strong opinions more weakly held, Larry. You let them go a little bit, have your opinion, but let other people impact it some. Yeah, one of the greatest learnings of my life. So, all soul bench and now, uh, I think a relatively well-balanced combination of the two bent towards so.
0: So I'm not sure if I'm talking to LD three or LD four, but you are on a new mission to bring back the American dream before we wrap up. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope there's an LD 400. Um, <laughs> see how long I stay in the game here. Right. Um, look, there's a, there's a population in America who is under underserved underthought of and and I'll listen to anybody who wants to tell me everybody has the same chances here. They don't. Um, I can tell you a really quick story about a young man named Patrick who's 29 years old. And at 19, he was busted with one joint in Miami, Florida, Florida. I got a misdemeanor, no big deal. Came to Georgia in March of, of, uh, 19 at 27 or eight years old, uh, got stopped while driving black. That's apparently illegal in Georgia. And, um, the officer had him empty his ashtray. And in the ashtray was a little tiny roach of a marijuana cigarette. That, As Patrick says, yeah, it was in there. It wasn't there from today, but it was in there from before. And the police took him in, booked him. The judge gave him 12 months in prison for a misdemeanor because he had a second offense. Yeah. Had it been my, any one of my, three sons the cop would have said really throw it away when you're done with it now get out of here or at least the judge would have said really throw it away when you're done with it get out of here not a chance a ticket 200 bucks whatever 12 months while patrick had to pay an attorney stayed in for a month and a half got evicted patrick can't rent a piece of property anymore ever The worst place in Atlanta won't rent you a place if you've got an eviction. And by the way, two misdemeanors doesn't look great, but they can get past that. So here's a guy that's making $5,500 a month and couldn't rent a place. So that's one part of the population. The second part is the average renter in Georgia makes $43,500. The average renting family. The average rent's a little over $1,100. Their average savings account is $650. What's that tell you? They are... They are what we call fringe homeless. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about homeless people who I have a huge heart for and who I believe need help and who I think government should help. I've got all kinds of liberal views on that. Let's talk about people who work every day, sometimes two or three jobs, and pay the rent. So, Ben, just to quickly answer a question that um, got me on my subject now 10 or 12 days, I'll say this. The, the resident who pays the rent pays all the profit to the owners. No person that owns residential real estate and rents it makes any money without the resident. Would we agree? Yeah. Yeah. When are they going to get to come to the table and eat? So, what we've done is we've built a real estate exchange, which is becoming very quickly, will be done shortly, a what's called a Reg A plus REIT. So, it's a privately held REIT. So, it's, it trades just like real estate, it keeps its value. But more importantly, the resident, it's being built by accredited investors who are putting money in here, the relationships and people that we know who are making investments in what is a very good investment that makes very good returns in real estate, which is the hottest asset in the market right now. But the difference between this one and others is that the residents are getting paid interest on their security deposit, which when we told them that, they're like, I don't ever get my security deposit back anyway, so why pay me interest on them? Well, We tell them, oh, yeah, you will, because if you will, our slogan, live in it like you own it, if you'll take care of it with us, you're going to save us money and make it worth more. Not only will we give you back a security deposit, we'll give you back 5% interest on it, which is more than anybody's paying anybody these days. We'll even do more. We'll give you a rental rebate every month you live in it like you own it, so that that $1,200 deposit becomes $1,877 the first year and up to $5,000 by the fifth year. What do you have in savings now? (laughs) Nothing. 200 bucks, 600 bucks. How would you like to build equity while you rent and have a savings account if you choose to leave? And then what if that money could be actually invested in real estate and make really good returns and get part of the appreciated value of where you're living? So that's what we're doing. Giving them the opportunity to eat at the same table as the investors.
0: That's amazing. I love it.
1: That's Nobody's doing what you're doing.
2: It's a a different view. It's an opportunity to make a difference, to see the difference. By the way, at 65, you really wanna see the difference. Mm -hmm. In your lifetime, I think I can see this difference. My son, I wanna make sure I make this clear. This is my son Daniel's vision. Um, His initial vision was non-accredited investors, being able to invest. Our vision together was once we started to meet the residents and start to research the data these are people with real jobs they keep jobs they they want to stay we can be an instrument for their success for long-term building of wealth that's awesome
0: that's great as my kids would say that's big brain uh larry we're out of time but i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you as we depart today give us one piece of encouragement wisdom What's heavy on your heart that you'd want System and Soulville out there to know as we leave today?
2: You know, if I I was going to leave somebody with one thing, I I would leave it with what I think is the largest problem and issue that we have in the world, but more specifically in America today, and that is our racial justice issue. We just got to realize that that it's real. we got to realize what is real and, and that how we all are is a result of our history. Changing is going to be dependent upon our realization, our mindfulness, our our willingness to be open to our perceptions actually being wrong. What was ingrained in us in our early years, all of us have our prejudices to skin color. Don't avoid it. Don't act like we don't. don't. If you're black, you got a prejudice to white for good damn reasons. And if you're white, there's some prejudice to some other color. And by the way, in case nobody noticed, nobody's white. We're just different shade colors. So we really just have to, at all times, be mindful of the ways that we're racially biased, and that's cool. Just be mindful, get aware of it, and choose to be different, choose to be open, and choose to realize that there are 92 components to all of us, literally elements to all of us, that come from the universe. We all got the same 92 in us. The DNA can be a little different, skin tone could be a little different,
0: but we're all one. And that's what I'll leave you with. I'll be three. Thank you. Pleasure to have you on the show system. And soul hope you got something out of this and do like Larry and pass this on to somebody else who could learn from it, grow from it or something in here that would encourage them, stretch them, challenge them. That's what we're all here for. See you again next week.